the Accidental Engineer. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we have the pleasure of Will Leiter joining us. Welcome, Will. Thanks, Max. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, for our audience that aren't familiar with your background, uh, Will runs his own growth marketing consultancy. Uh, what's the name of the consultancy? William Leiter Growth Advisor. <laughs> right on, right on. And one man show. To give people an idea of what growth marketing is, do you mind giving a little primer? Yeah. Uh, to me, growth marketing is filling people's top of funnel. So that's getting more customers if you're a B2C company. Uh, if you're B2B, it could be getting more leads and then you're nurturing the leads. But ultimately, it's about driving more revenue for your business. Uh, and growth usually connotes more performance marketing, uh, things that you can measure, scalable online programs that would be in contrast to other parts of a marketing function that might include like brand or PR, messaging, product marketing. Uh, so for me, that's the distinction where growth is these performance programs that you're measuring and it's driving top of funnel revenue ultimately for your business. So to give guests a little bit more context about your background, uh, this is not your first rodeo. You've worked at many startups by this point. Uh, you were at Thumbtack for a number of years uh, as a director of marketing. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. uh, Thumbtack being an enormous marketplace for localized services, yep. Yep. Uh, in which I'm, I, I assume, as far as I know, that SEO was a huge portion of that. Yep. Uh, did you work heavily on SEO, search engine optimization? I did. That was I worked on a few different projects there, and the first project I worked on was search-focused. Uh, Thumbtack, as you said, marketplace for local services, so it's a nationwide platform where you can hire anything from a plumber to a personal trainer or a photographer, all kinds of typically local services. And the way people search for these services and find them is through Google. And so Thumbtack's big growth channel was organic search. And the specific part of the search strategy that I worked on there was around creating content and driving links back to Thumbtack. Uh, links are a critical signal of a website's value. You can think of them as votes uh, in the democratic system of uh, websites signaling who's important and who's not, right? If you're leaning to a website, you're saying, I want people who are on my site to go there. I think there's something worthwhile for them there. So that's a really powerful signal. And so we did a lot of work to create content that we felt would be relevant sometimes for media, sometimes for government officials, universities. I mean, really anybody with a website uh, that we thought we could persuade to provide a link back to Thumbtack. And that was to drive the overall SEO strategy so that when someone says, um, I need a photographer in Las Vegas, Thumbtack's page is at the top of the results there. Well, you're not a software engineer by title. Uh, a huge portion of what I imagine you do in your consultancy and what you probably did in previous growth marketing roles involves software for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. To give some perspective for our audience that uh, aren't familiar with what the day-to-day -day of SEO was when you were at Thumbtack, or what the day-to-day -day now is of your consultancy practice. What types of role does software play in what you do? Oh, wow, sure. Well, <laughs> basically all of my clients are software companies. So there's that key. I, I, don't, I have not and don't currently work with anyone who has uh, physical products. Uh, so software is the foundation in the sense that the actual product for the business is always a piece of software, right? So, you know, even Thumbtack, ultimately, if you're trying to hire a local service professional, Thumbtack's product is, is not that person. That person doesn't work for Thumbtack. They're the software marketplace like Airbnb, right, or eBay. Mm -hmm. um, and then going back to this idea of what is growth marketing, I mentioned it's top of funnel, driving revenue for people, and it is uh, online marketing programs that are scalable, right? That's typically software. So you're using software to power these programs. Uh, some of the most... 
uh, important pieces of software for the advertising industry, for example, Facebook's back end, right? Not the software that you use to see what your friends did, but that advertisers use, Google AdWords. Um, so, I mean, those are incredibly important, comp very complex, very mature software products. Um, and developing mastery on how to use those tools is super valuable if you're working in growth or kind of at minimum understanding the strategy behind them of how does this fit in to your portfolio of growth channels, right? You can get customers or leads from different um, sources. And so understanding given, you know, I'm looking at it like this is part of my work is to look at a client and say, given your business, given how people look for what you offer, which channel are we going to use? And oftentimes that's behind a piece of software that we're going to use. So that would be one obvious way. And then another way is uh, there's a whole you know, industry of software that powers this kind of work. Um, so you and I were talking before we started filming about CRM, uh, customer relationship management tools. I do a lot of work on these. Um, and this will span the spectrum from Salesforce, huge enterprise software that's mostly focused on empowering your sales team down to something like uh, Marketo or HubSpot, which could be big for a big company, but could be much smaller, might also power a lot of email work, um, segmenting your customers, nurturing them, or if they're leads, nurturing them for your sales team. Uh, so you're developing mastery with that software. And then also, you know, hopefully working with your engineering team to build data pipelines like between that third-party tool and another tool that you're using like Salesforce where other, another team in your company, the sales team is using that or um, if you're running a big email program, you have a bunch of customer data, data about your products, and you need to bring that in. And so you're um, you know, not just using the front end of these tools, but you're also understanding, okay, well, what does your API look like? Because we have uh, data is going to be a big part. Data and personalization is going to be a huge part of our strategy. And so we need the tool to support that. I'm interested to hear about uh, clients of yours and your consulting practice. But before, I want to ask you, put to you the question, how come you ended up in a consulting role and a yeah. consulting arrangement, what was the transition like that led you to decide full-time employment, salary jobs are not for me? Yeah. Well, first of all, happy to talk about that. And I'll say that it's uh, just caveat by saying that I don't, it's not like a, I haven't made a lifetime decision. I would say that this is what I'm doing. It's the decision that makes sense to me today. And I'll reevaluate that. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because I wasn't planning to do this. Um, I had I've been working in online marketing for about seven years. I started in 2012, a few different places. And when I left Thumbtack, I was really enjoying that work, but I felt like it was kind of skewing my work-life balance and I was just getting really stressed out there. I consider myself sort of like a, a default. Uh, you're, you're a stereotypical type A person who's pushing themselves and working hard, but also putting a lot of pressure on themselves. And I found that it was just kind of negative, negatively impacting me. And so... Uh, I took some time off, thought that I was going to start a business, and so started to do some research into what kind of business I might start, and had saved some money while working at Thumbtack to have a few months where I didn't have income, and was running out of that money, and thought, okay, I want to keep chasing some different ideas and some other ways of doing work and making a living, and I reached out to a colleague, former colleague from Thumbtack, who was then running a marketing agency and said, hey, do you have some projects or side work that I could do? And I really enjoyed that work. And as I was doing that side by side with spending the bulk of my time working on my uh, business, I realized, oh, 
this is coming to me very easily. It's enjoyable. I'm liking the people I meet. I feel like I'm really helping these company, this company, then it was just one that I'm working with. And so one became two, became three, and then over a course of maybe six months, it went from just a get some more runway, pay the bills to, oh wow, this is really, this is really fun. This is interesting. And I'm liking this more. Um, and I've st stuck with it. I think this is kind of part of your question because I really enjoy the flexibility and the autonomy. That's super nice. Um, you also get to sample a lot of different kinds of businesses and problems. And there's pros and cons to that. There's a lot of pros to going really deep on one thing and developing tremendous expertise in one vertical, one product, right? One function there. Um, I've always been a little bit more of a generalist and kind of preferred going deep on something for a few months or a year, but then moving on to something else. And so this lends itself to that work really nicely where I can do a combination of having my core areas that I know a lot about, but constantly be applying them in different contexts without having to change jobs all the time, which is, can be very disruptive and bad. Like when someone hires you, they don't want to just hire you for six months or a year. Whereas these consulting engagements, it's like obviously the intent is that it's temporary because I want to fix their problem, help them build out a function, show them how to do this, and then they run with it, right? It's like everyone's on the same page from the beginning that maybe if it's a long engagement, we'll work together for a year, but it's not a it's not forever. It's different than when you hire someone full-time. That politics of a relationship being very different from being a full-time employee is really interesting. Yeah. In the past, you've described to me some of the best practices of consulting or the mm. not negotiating tactics, but constraints you need to place on your practice and time yeah. uh, to really protect not just your mental health, but your pocketbook. Uh, maybe yeah. for our audience members who have only ever been full-time employees, what are some of the really insightful uh, tips you got yeah. before you became a consultant? Maybe things you realized after becoming a consultant about properly negotiating your relationship with clients? Yeah. I will bring up uh, a few points that stuck with me from doing exactly what you did when I, what you just mentioned, where I did a round of informational interviews, more or less, when I was in that stage where I had two clients and was thinking, oh, wow, this is taking up most of my time. Maybe I'll do this indefinitely. So I kind of kept doing that, but took a pause to say, I want to talk to some people who've been doing this for a while, who are more experienced. So um, this is not all advice that I personally have learned, but these are the things that stuck with me. And then a lot of them have really played out for me. Uh, over the past year. So the first is I'll recommend a specific book that was recommended to me by a bunch of people called Million Dollar Consulting. Um, I think the author's name is Alan Weiss, I think. Uh, and it's, it's, a very, it's a funny book. It's, an, it's a strange book in some ways, but uh, this guy really just lays out a system and playbook for doing consulting. And so if someone is thinking about this kind of work or has fallen into it like I did but wants to structure more, I would definitely recommend reading that book. Um, some of the specific things that stood out from that and that people advised me to do were to think about yourself in the same way a company thinks about uh, their product, where you think about product market fit. You think about there's a certain kind of target customer that we have, right? Like our service is not for everybody. They're you know, a more generic service. It might have a wider lens, but like any business has a perspective of this is who our software is. If, if you're in tech, this is who our software is for, physical product, different, right? Um, but everyone has that. And so you have to think about that for yourself too. You have to think about who are my consulting services for? Um, and that could be 
what the answer to that question will vary based on you and what you're offering. It could be you know, a certain vertical. It could be people who need help with a certain function. It could be a certain size of company, right? There's no like right answer to what the combination of these things are, but you want to think through what is that um, so that you can ensure there's a good fit, right? Um, and the value of ensuring a good fit is not only that you avoid a project where you don't drive impact and that isn't helpful, um, but also that it's giving you more leverage to charge more, basically. I mean, that's the key thing is if there's actually fit there, there's a higher willingness to pay versus you're scraping by um, on something where there's kind of sort of, but not really a fit, but they're doing it because it's a good deal. That might feel good because you get it, you get them to say yes sooner, but it's actually not in your best long-term interest. Um, so think about what is that product market fit for what I actually want to offer? What is my service? Um, and part of that will be thinking through what is your service, right? What are you, what is your superpower? What do you really know the most about? I, I do have a, I do have a question along these yeah, lines, yeah, sure, which sure. is, it sounds like having that product market fit as a consultant is something that might be hard to do if you're just coming out of college, let's say. Yeah. What, what do you think it was that you got from full-time employment that allowed you to have product market oh, fit, sure. so to speak, as a consultant? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would definitely sort of not edit, but just add to what I was laying out before. The sort of assumption there is that you have a skill or an expertise that you want to offer as a consulting service. Sure. Um, and so to your point, someone coming straight out of college, like it's, you, don't, you don't know what that is, probably. Um, and it doesn't need, it, you don't need to have worked a bunch of different places. Um, you maybe worked one at one company for a long time and built a lot of expertise and you realize, oh, other people, other companies have this problem. And I solved this problem for five years for Google or whomever. Um, and I'm going to go find businesses that also have this problem. Um, so I think that's, yeah, you have to have some kind of functional expertise that you worked on. That's a key thing. And then a sort of related component to that that's been very helpful is, uh, some kind of some f some nice brand on your LinkedIn on your resume of a company that people know about. I mean that's that's huge. Um, so for me, a lot of pe people in tech know about Thumbtack. Thumbtack's not, of course, as well known as the you know Facebook or Amazon, but people in tech know about Thumbtack, and so that was the market I am working with, and so that worked. And there's many companies that could fulfill that for you, but I think that's that's really helpful. And it's not a prerequisite, but it's very helpful to just kind of provide you with instant credibility of like, oh, this person did that thing at that company. They must, they, they know what they're talking about. Um, and for our audience that yeah. don't know Thumbtack, I will qualify that yeah. they are a business that has been valued at over a billion dollars. Yeah, They've true. raised probably at this point hundreds of millions in financing 200 plus yeah yeah so for our audience that haven't heard of thumbtack they're a significant brand for sure and i can see how that yeah. would be uh, a positive as you go out on a consulting basis uh speaking of the consulting basis i think it would be cool to hear about some of the clients that you've landed sure. and that work that you work with currently perhaps yeah sure so i work with three companies right now uh, the companies are Service Channel, WorkRamp, and Copilot, and they're all they're all very different. Um, Service Channel makes software for facilities management, and they sell to companies that have like hundreds or thousands of physical locations. So I mean, you know, big like global companies that have lots of locations, and they help you make sure that your 
uh, you know, not wasting money on repairs that you shouldn't waste money on and uh, ensure that you're getting the best value, hiring good contractors, managing that whole process. As you can imagine, for a big company, that's a very, very complicated thing. You have, you know, thousands of stores, that's thousands of toilets, air conditioners, all these things, right, that can yeah. break and need to be fixed. Um, I work with a company called WorkRamp that makes software for sales enablement uh, and sales training. So uh, think of, you know, you're a startup, you're building out your sales team, you're hopefully hiring a lot of salespeople to do that. You need to train, you need to train them. And then your products change, right? You train them when you hire them. And then your product's changing, right? You have new features. You need to make sure everyone knows that, right? Make sure your customers know it, but also make sure the salespeople know, oh, we have this feature now. How does that feature work? I need to be able to answer questions about that, be fluent. Um, so their platform is a learning management system to do all that. Um, and then Copilot is a, the earliest stage of the companies. They're a way to uh, find a car, uh, do car shopping. Um, so their, their pitch is like, they're your co-pilot in the car shopping process and you won't have to go solo in that process. Car, car shopping is a very confusing process for a lot of people. Of course, some people are car buffs and love it, but most people, it's a very stressful and frustrating. It's a hard process that they're not looking forward to. Um, and so Copilot makes it super easy to find the car that's right for you and give you the confidence that you're getting actually a good deal on that car. Without getting too specific, uh, can you share a little bit about the types of services that you provide and like how maybe you structure a contract as a consultant? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So uh, the biggest difference in sort of what services I provide for them is going back to this B2B versus B2C point. And as you could pick up in that discussion, Service Channel Work Ramp and some of the other businesses I worked on are B2B. So that's business to business. It is business. Yes, it is business to business as, as opposed, opposed to, to business to consumer. Um, most companies, individuals are familiar with our B2C because you're a consumer um, versus, you know, Salesforce would be like maybe the best known B2B company. Like individuals don't buy Salesforce, businesses buy Salesforce. Um, so service channel and work ramp, going back to your first question around, you know, what is growth? For them, it's about getting leads and it's about ultimately it's getting qualified leads. That's like a key key distinction in the B2B world because uh, ultimately there you're trying, you have a partnership with the sales team if you're in growth and marketing and getting a bunch of leads that are useless for the sales team is worth nothing because ultimately that's how you're driving revenues through closing sales. So the work I'm doing with them, um, I mentioned CRM before, I do a lot of work on growth and marketing systems that uh, power that kind of process and so working with them on their CRM tools to make sure, okay, we're tracking where leads come from we're nurturing the leads, we're uh, sending them to our CRM tool, excuse me, our sales tool, usually Salesforce, uh, and we have a feedback loop to be tracking all of that, understand what's working and what's not, and then use that information to edit our programs, right? And have better SEO, paid acquisition, whatever, um, whatever the channel portfolio is for that company. So that's my work with them. Um, Copilot uh, is working on an SEO strategy, and so uh, we're, they're, as I mentioned, an early stage company. They just came out of beta, so uh, we're sort of laying the foundation for an SEO strategy for them, ultimately, to be able to have pages that will rank when people search for used cars online. That's kind of their expertise. And so we're building a, an in-house CMS, which is a content management system, for them to manage all of these pages uh, and run tests on them. and, and pipe their really awesome car data about the cars onto the pages. Yeah, makes sense. In, in a business-to-business -business context, a qualified lead is an employee or business uh, with employees that is qualified to be buying 
the product that you're selling? Is that exactly. right? Exactly. It is. And lead qualification is so critical. I, I, I wouldn't have known this if you asked me a year ago because most of my experience is in B2C and then I happen to get a couple B2B clients. Um, and I like the particular challenge of working with the sales team and getting all the measurement on that. It's, it's an interesting challenge. And yeah, qualified lead means different thing for different companies in the details, but the headline is this is someone who might actually buy our product. And for different companies, that's completely different. So like for Service Channel, the key thing they care about is how many physical locations do you have. For a company like Salesforce or WorkRamp, it could be about you know how big is your sales team, how much revenue do you have, right? It just you know it, it depends on what exactly your product does. Do you think that the title of growth marketing as a field of specialty in sales and marketing will get a rebrand in the near future? Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a more accurate name for perhaps the consulting services that you provide? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like there's been a whole evolution on that term where I don't know exactly how many years ago, but a few years ago, no one, that, that phrase didn't exist, that function didn't exist, growth, it didn't mean anything. Um, now, I, th I feel like it went through a phase where now it's like, oh, what does that mean? That's a buzzword, growth. I don't know what that is. Growth hacking, it's usually associated with, which I didn't bring up here, but it, I'm sure your listeners have heard of that. You probably heard of that too, Max. Um, I feel like, I, I don't have a strong perspective on will it get a rebrand or not. I do feel like it's important to distinguish between these different functions in marketing because the marketing function has changed so dramatically, particularly for businesses that are data-driven and online-focused. 20 years ago, marketing meant you know PR, your television ads, your direct mail program. Um, you know how do you talk about your product? Today, many of the most effective marketing programs, basically rebranded as growth, it's so different what you do. I was talking about AdWords programs, Facebook ads, uh, organic search strategies. I mean the skill set that's involved in that and the nature of that work is completely different and you i think you see this in the way the marketing function has it, it's uh it's like almost bursting at the seams a little bit in the sense and i see a lot of companies struggle with this in the sense that you're trying to capture these two very different kinds of work in this one umbrella term and for that reason i think most companies that i've seen do it well end up bracketing out some of these more what could be called performance marketing features that are uh, more data-driven, more about using tools uh, online, more about probably working with your engineering team. They'll, they bracket that out into a different function, like a growth function for this reason, uh, that it's just not, you know, the person who's really great at one is not necessarily great at the other. Like to me, growth is much more about running a lot of, you're using data to run a lot of tests, um, whereas coming up with your messaging for your product is, that's a softer skill that's more about, you know, being very creative, uh, doing customer focus groups, and having, you know, conviction around a great vision for uh, what the brand should be and sticking to that. And I don't, I don't mean to say someone can't be good at both, but just in my experience, there's oftentimes people who are very good at one and not the other, and it's not the right fit for a company or for them to, like, make them do both just because the word marketing has been applied to both. It, it sounds like that distinction between performance marketing and brand marketing is similar to a recent episode we recorded with a salesperson who was describing the dis, that the bursting of seams issue with how you define marketing is kind of similar where there's sales and marketing orgs and they oh, are yeah. kind of in natural conflict over um, who to blame for what. 
like are the qualified leads good enough? Are the salespeople working the leads properly or efficiently or effectively? And so instead of bracketing out performance marketing and branding, branding, brand marketing in sales and marketing, it sounds like there's going to be some type of, or, or that uh, <laughs> consolidating the sales and marketing team so that they're, they're held to a common goal is a really common issue. But yeah. being upstream of that, I'm guessing most of your consulting clients are marketing teams or, or VPs of marketing, CMOs, directors of marketing. Yeah. Is that accurate? That's a good question. I mean, I've been doing this for a year and I, I work with I work with usually two to four companies at a time and sometimes the engagements are long. And so I've worked with like 10 companies. And so I'm prefacing this to say kind of a small N in terms of I don't know that I can make a proclamation sure. for you about, oh, it's this kind of person. It really depends on the stage of the company too. Um, usually if they're needing to hire a consultant, it means they don't have the function or the function is very understaffed, which means Oftentimes I'm reporting, initially talking to like a C-level person, maybe a CEO or a founder who knows we want to have this thing, but we don't have it, right? If they already had a VP of marketing or a VP growth who they liked, they probably wouldn't be hiring me. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, maybe that person's just understaffed or they, I know them and I have a lot of experience with a problem they specifically have. But so typically I'm interfacing with a founder or a CEO. Um, and oftentimes that's part of what we're doing is helping them understand, hey, what's the long-term resourcing for you on this? You know, you're, you're going to need to hire a CMO or a uh, VP Growth. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Uh, for our audience that might want to get in touch with you or check out more about your consulting practice, uh, do, you, do you have a website? Should people hit you up on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great spot to hit me up. Uh, LinkedIn.com slash William Leiter. Well, thanks for coming on, Will. Yes, yeah, thanks for pleasure. having me, Max. The Accidental Engineer.